I don't know how you can get to him right there. He's like, well, you see, they're beneath that band of cliff. And then above that, there's a second band of cliff. And you see that tiny little strip right in the middle? I think you can walk that. And I said to him, I think you can walk that. I have no intention of balance beaming between two cliff face faces trying to get to this buck. Uh, and so I said, if you really think you like, he's yours, I'll give him to you. I would love to see anyone make a stock on this and I'm not walking over there. Uh, so I'll keep an eye on him. I'll run the camera. Uh, but if you want to stock him, go ahead. Welcome to hunting stories brought to you by late to the game outdoors. Everyone loves a good story and hunters have some of the best. Our whole mission is to collect and share great stories from hunters just like you to entertain and keep you motivated all year long. So pull up a seat around the campfire, cause here we go. What's up everybody? Today's story is, uh, is one from last year that I just never got put on the podcast, uh, which is sad cause it was, uh, probably my biggest hunting adventure of, uh, the fall of 2021. Uh, it's Utah high country mule deer, early season archery, that whole thing. And first time I've ever done that kind of hunt. I went with my buddy Josh. He, uh, he we talk about him a lot. He shows up a lot because uh, he and I hunt together a lot. Um, and I thought about having him on to kind of tell the story together. Uh, but I really want to have him come on and tell the story of his bear hunt where he killed just this monster bear back in Arizona later the year. Uh, the hunt I was supposed to be on and bailed on him for. I want to hear that story. So I'm going to get him on to tell that soon. But here's the deal. Uh, this is a, a hunt that Josh has done before. It was kind of his first foray into that early season high country mule deer stuff. Um, and he wanted to take me along. And I, it's something I'd always wanted to try. Um, I do a lot of backcountry hunting. Just never, you know, at nine, ten thousand feet uh, for mule deer. Uh, hunted elk up there know that game but uh but man just the the early mule deer above the tree line kind of thing uh looks cool watch the films and finally got a chance to try it and so i'm just gonna dive in it was a we had i think six full days of hunting and then some you know travel time on the other end because we were looking at like a 12 14 hour drive something like that so uh we we leave super early in the morning and we are, we're on our way. We stopped for lunch. Like we're finally in Utah, stopped for gas and lunch. Uh, we still have hours and hours to go. And my wife texts me a picture of my own trekking poles, which I had evidently left on the sidewalk outside of our house. Uh, like I just piled all my gear up in the dark. Josh pulled up, threw everything in his truck. Somehow the poles got left in the darkness. And, uh, and I realized trekking poles are not fully a necessity, uh, and there's some debate and some uh, mockery from the non-trekking pole camp. Uh, but I just knew we were going in steep and deep. And if we were going to come out heavy, I was going to want those poles. So made a stop at, uh, at the Cabela's in Utah on the way uh, just to pick up another set. So who doesn't want an extra set of trekking poles? Uh, I didn't, but I have them. Anyway, uh, you know, we, we get to the trailhead at like dark. We have gas station sandwiches that we had just picked up at the last gas stop. Uh, just sort of, it, it had been raining. Like we drove through a storm the last couple hours of the drive. Uh, so everything is wet. I didn't want, neither of us really wanted to like unpack our whole backcountry kit to get tents and all that stuff set up. So we just slept in the truck, like 
sitting up in the chairs. Surprisingly, not as bad a night of sleep as you would expect. Um, but just uh, waited for morning, then got up, shot the bows, made sure everything was was working and, uh, and packed up and headed in. Uh, camp was about five miles up this trail and it was, it was like four miles of gradual uphill. And then the last mile you gain like 2000 feet of elevation or something like it, it was steep and it was rough. Uh, I tend to deal with cramping and hydration issues. I'm, I'm getting better at, I'm figuring it out, but there comes a point where I just, if I'm pushing it too hard, I sweat a lot. Uh, it just seems like there's nothing I can put in my body that, that can stop the cramping altogether. So by like the last half mile, the last 500 feet of gain, uh, my legs were starting to cramp pretty bad. Uh, and there was a camp spot in particular we wanted sort of up, up kind of on this bench where we were going to camp. Uh, so I just sent Josh on ahead, like, go, go claim the spot. I'm just going to take small steps and, uh, and take breaks and keep drinking and I'll meet you there. So it all worked out. It was fine. Got there, stretched out a little bit, drank some more water, ate some lunch. Um, we kind of glassed from camp that evening, turned up some does and some stuff moving around, but, but we were kind of looking lower. Everything we wanted to hunt was, you know, you would hike up out of camp and then start looking into some, some bigger basins. So the next morning, it's like kind of the first real day of the hunt, and we kind of go up over uh, this little saddle. There's a spot that just wanted to be our first glassing point. You know, it takes 10 minutes to get there from camp. Uh, and, you know, I don't think I'd even put the binos on a tripod yet. Like we just sat down. I threw them up freehand. I'm like, oh, bucks right there. Just kind of feeding down through this basin. Um, we, like most hunters, uh, kind of operate on the he who glasses it gets to chase it or at least has first rider refusal. Uh, and they were working down this drainage and they were like, as they moved down, there were some, some hills and some cuts and, you know, seemed like there'd be some cover. And so uh, the wind was good. I waited for them to dip out of sight. And then I figured, okay, I can just grab my bow and run on after them, uh, pop up over this hill. And if I time it right, they should be just filtering right underneath me. Get a shot. This is opening morning. Why not? Um, well, I'll tell you why not. Because I watched most of the bucks drop behind the hill. And in my excitement and my haste, I started barreling down that hill towards them. Josh was watching through the binos, realized that there was one buck left up higher, still feeding, and he caught me dead to rights. I had no idea. So he caught me, he took off, all the other bucks took off with him, and I am just still traipsing on down into this cut, uh, popped up over to where I thought they would be. I was befuddled to find no deer there, and then just assumed like, oh, I must have missed them or whatever. You know, they moved faster than I thought. And then by the time I got back up to the glassing point, Josh told me what happened and uh, I felt like an idiot. But that's, hey, it's not a bad first morning to see some really good bucks, m make a play on them. It was awesome. Um, the uh, After that, so it's, you know, kind of getting to the mid late morning, that basin obviously was toast. Uh, thanks to me for for at least the day. Uh, and so we just kind of wrap around and there's just like th this area. It's awesome. There's just more basins than we really even had time to look at. So we just kind of hike up and over, find the next vantage point. Uh, and Josh this time glasses this, this huge two point. I know that sounds weird because you're like a oh, two points, like a little forky, but this guy was wide and tall, but the best that we could see, he was a, he was a good ways off, but the best that we could see even through the spotter, he only had two on each side. Um, 
So that's Josh's buck and it's going to be a long stock, but we, we get on it and we kind of wrap all the way around and, and come in over kind of over behind and from the top of him, uh, we finally get there, you know, mid afternoon and, uh, and we've got some trees and some landmarks and, and I'm at this point just running the camera for Josh and he kind of creeps up over the edge and he, he sees it. He sees his head and most of his body is just obscured behind this tree. So nothing to do but just sit on him and wait. There's no shot. But he's looking away from us. So so Josh just kind of sits there, you know, ranging everything, getting, you know, figuring out all the possible ways he could move and how far he'd be and just getting ready like you do in that situation. As he's sitting there, probably half an hour, just sitting there. I'm holding the camera. He's sitting on the edge of this bluff waiting for this this buck to get up. He feels that that wind swirl hits the back of his neck. And that deer doesn't even give him a second, doesn't give him that like, you know, stop and look back to see what was going on. Just in one motion stands up and is already bounding out of that area and away from him. Uh, you know, Josh tried the the last ditch effort. Like, what else can you do? But do like uh, throws one of those. He doesn't care that that buck is out of there. And so we just had a nice long uh, hike of shame all the way back to camp, uh, put on some miles that day for sure. So the the dehydrated meal at the end was just heavenly. So the next morning, it's almost the exact same thing. We we hike to that first spot, sit down, uh, throw up the glass, and immediately I'm like, oh, there's there's bucks right there. Same spot as last time. Uh, only this time they're different bucks. And one of them is to, to this day the biggest buck I've ever seen on the hoof in my life. I mean, he just looked like a horse, like almost like an elk with deer coloration. He was just so wide, so tall, the biggest freaking deer I've ever seen. Uh, and you, if you listen to the podcast, you know I'm not a trophy guy. I, I usually go after anything that's legal um, just because that's where I'm at in my hunting journey. Uh, but it doesn't mean I don't get excited when I see just a truly massive specimen of an animal. Uh, so this buck is feeding along. He's got another little buck with him. And I say little buck, like that little buck would have been a shooter buck for most people. Like, hey, that's a that's a nice, solid buck. And next to this other one, he was just dwarfed. It was insane. Uh, and we decided this time, like, okay, yesterday, you know, I went bombing off into the, the drainage and blew the whole thing up almost immediately. Let's try the textbook approach. Let's just sit on these guys, watch them. If nothing messes with them, they're just going to bed down somewhere in this drainage. We'll bed them down. We'll, we'll make a plan and we'll make a better play on them. And so we just sit and we watch these bucks for hours, um, long enough to where you start giving them names and inventing a backstory and like doing the whole Disney, giving them personalities and stuff. Uh, so the biggest buck we named Tyson because you know, it's the heavyweight champ naturally. Uh, and then the, the comparatively little buck, uh, we named Lyle just cause uh, forgive me if there's probably a Lyle listening and I don't mean to offend, but it just, it just fit, you know, Tyson and Lyle, and they clearly had sort of that, uh, adversarial, uh, there was, there was no mystery as to who the dominant buck was. Um, obviously it was not Lyle. Now, we watched them just feed and meander and, and it seemed like it took them forever to bed. Like they, they would sort of like stop and circle around and kind of scratch at some 
ground and then you know one of them would lay down uh usually lyle lyle was clearly tired and wanted to lay down but tyson wasn't satisfied with the bed so he would move far enough that lyle was like oh shoot i want to stay with my buddy and he would get up and they would move um and they're they're kind of worked their way beneath this big bluff you know cliff face like all this rock stuff above them and they're kind of nestled right up in the shadow of it uh and we watched this amazing exchange where where uh Tyson is is scratching out this bed, uh, you know, probably his third attempt to find his perfect bed, um, and he lays down in it, uh, and then he gets up for his, like something. He's just not settled right. He he kind of gets up, takes a couple steps. He's looking around. Uh, he scratches at the floor again, uh, but then while he's sitting there, you know, just kind of scanning the area before he lays down again, Lyle slips in behind him uh, and lays down in the bed that he's just been scratching out. Scratching out? Do you call it scratching? They don't really have claws. Hooving? He's hooving out? Is that a verb? I don't know. It doesn't matter. Um, anyway, Lyle steals Tyson's bed. Uh, Tyson, you know, he's looking away, scanning the, the drainage just to make sure he's safe. Uh, he looks back to see what has just happened. And he just, like, kicks literally Tyson, like right in the butt, just like throws his big old hoof down on him a couple times, like throws his antlers at him. Uh, you know, Lyle gets up and scampers out of that bed. Uh, Tyson moves in, like moves back into position. He's standing like on the bed, like he's about to finally lay down again. Tyson tries this weird, like backup maneuver. Like he's going to parallel park his way past Tyson into the bed again. I don't know what he was thinking. Um, cause then Tyson made it abundantly clear. No, this is my bed. You're going to get out of here. You know, like almost grabbed him with his antlers and threw him out. Like not quite, but it was almost that effect. Tyson lays down Lyle sheepishly, like <laughs> works his way a few yards along the bluff and finds this other less ideal bedding spot. And he lays down. And so great. Now they're bedded. They spent so much time. We're sure they're going to be right there. But here's the problem. Like I, I glassed him first. So again, it was my buck to chase, but they were bedded against this cliff face that I, I don't, uh, I'm not afraid to admit, uh, phobias or things that, that exist like that. Uh, I don't love heights. Uh, you know, it's not like debilitating usually, but I get a little skeeved out on, uh, steep, uh, precarious perches, things of that nature. Uh, and so they are right beneath this massive cliff face. Like it's, and, and it looks like as I stare across, there's like, this is how Josh described to me. It's like, man, they're, I don't know how you can get to him right there. He's like, well, you see they're beneath that band of cliff. And then above that, there's a second band of cliff. And you see that tiny little strip right in the middle. I think you can walk that. And I said to him, I think you can walk that. I have no intention of balance beaming between two cliff face faces trying to get to this buck. Uh, and so I said, if you really think you like, he's yours, I'll give him to you. I would love to see anyone make a stock on this and I'm not walking over there. Uh, so I'll keep an eye on him. I'll run the camera. Uh, but if you want to stalk him, go ahead. Are you a new hunter or even a guy with some miles under his boots who's still just trying to figure it out? I get it. I've been there. I'm an adult onset hunter who spent the last 15 years learning how to hunt. And so I wrote the book, How to Hunt, A Total Beginner's Guide to Hunting Big Game, as the resource I wish existed all those years ago when I first started. Whether you're planning to chase elk with your bow in the west, or you're hunting for whitetails back east, this book will take you from knowing absolutely nothing to your first harvest. 
It's packed with hunting stories and plenty of those times where I royally screwed up. You'll leave with a sound strategy for hunting big game and have plenty of laughs along the way. Grab a copy today at latetothegameoutdoors.com slash howtohuntbook. And so he grabs his bow and he starts to, to start off after him. And uh, what we had failed to calculate was the first thing in the morning when we saw them, they were with some does. And those does all stayed kind of tucked up in this little patch of timber in the middle of this open face. And then these two bucks kind of wandered off a good ways away from them. Those does had been tucked up in that that bedding area that we hadn't seen them. We, we couldn't really have eyes on them. And so Josh goes to like start making this big loop around where he should have been, you know, far enough away that the bucks aren't really going to pick him up, but the does picked him up and they like, he didn't make it all that far before they kind of stood up, started getting nervous, started blowing at him. Then they took off right past the bucks and took the bucks with them. So after all those hours of watching these bucks, which was wildly entertaining, I'm glad we did it. Uh, it, it was essentially over before it started. Um, so after that was over, I mean, it was mid afternoon at that point, we kind of bounced over, checked another closer drainage, didn't really turn anything up on our way back. We were heading back to camp. So we were walking past that first drainage where all of this activity had happened. We see a headlamp down in the drainage and, uh, and it's still, there's just enough light left to kind of throw some glass up and see what's going on. Uh, and we see this hammock set up like so some hiker camper backpacker maybe a hunter but probably not based on where he's camping has moved into the drainage set up his hammock he's planning to stay there for the night and so we know this is going to affect <laughs> this our go-to first drainage that has paid off every morning so far there's probably not going to be deer, deer in there the next morning and sure enough there weren't um so we uh we that morning, you know, we kind of get up and pop over and we have to go past this drainage anyway. So we just sort, we don't even sit down. We just stop, throw up the glass. Sure enough, there's nothing there. We can still see that guy's hammock down in the bottom. Okay, moving on. Uh, and so we, we kind of take up, go up a different way and we decide to kind of head over to the top of this, the closest peak and look down in this other piece of country we haven't looked in yet. And so as we're, we're up there scanning around, uh, Josh eventually picks up these two bucks and this is, uh, somehow this, this, you know, we got up there late enough that not a lot was happening in the morning, but we picked them up kind of like mid afternoon, two nice looking bucks feeding their way through. Uh, so they're Josh's bucks. He spotted them. So I stay up to, to glass and, uh, you know, I can provide some hand signals if he gets uh, disconnected or, or turned around down there. And so uh, I see him, he heads down and into the saddle and, and from my vantage point, it looks pretty straightforward. Uh, what I found out later as he got down there, it was not straightforward. There were, there was stuff you couldn't get through. Uh, there was, you know, what looked like just, Oh, just hop on over to this. Yeah. Well, that's a 10 foot face that you just have to scale. Um, and is not really going to work with, with a bow in your hand and pack on your back and all that stuff. Um, finally he manages to get away he keeps the the wind and the and the bucks are just sort of hanging out they're sort of bedding and feeding and bedding and feeding but all in this this one little you know patch of grass right here so they they haven't really left the area finally he gets sort of up on a ridge where he can peek over and he can see them and it looks to me like he's like four yards from them not really that close but i'm i'm like oh send the arrow like you're ready uh but he keeps like staying just off the ridge and he is like crab walking like scooting down on his butt inch by inch while these bucks look like they're feeding towards him and he's just trying to close that gap so 
what I found out afterwards was, you know, they were, when he first saw them, they were 150 yards away, something like that. And, uh, obviously not a shot he's going to take. And so he keeps trying to close the distance. They're just feeding. They have no idea he's there. The wind is good. He is just painstaking, like one little crab scoot at a time making his way over there. Uh, the light is fading and he is just trying to, to close it. And the, they never even really busted him. He just sort of like ran out of light before they he was ever able to get within range of them. Because as he's scooting down, they eventually kind of made this U-turn of sorts and started to follow this little line of small trees. And, you know, I think the closest they ever came was about 100 yards. <laughs> and then they started, ended up moving in the different direction. There was just nothing he could do. The uh, whole stock blew up. He came back. I loaded up, you know, he left all his heavy stuff, spotter and all that stuff up with me. So I loaded that all up, came down off the peak and just sort of met him in a saddle out the trail so that we could head on back to camp. Okay. The next day we, uh, we stop at our first drainage, still no deer. The camper is now gone, but you know, he's disrupted their activity enough. They, they haven't come in yet. And, uh, so we just, you know, kind of follow around that basin. We're going to head up and over, uh, what we came to call deer leg saddle. Cause there was just the, the bottom half of a deer leg sitting there right in that saddle. And that was the, the easiest way to refer to it. Cause it was, it became a meeting point. If, you know, if I stayed back and Josh was on a stock, like, okay, well I'll meet you at deer leg saddle. And then we could, you know, hike the rest of the way back to camp together. So we're hiking up to deer leg saddle and Josh just kind of creeps up, peeks his head over and then real quick drops back down and comes over to me and said, dude, there's a, there is a small buck with a, with a doe working his way this way. Uh, if, if you want him, you can have him. I said, absolutely. I want him. Uh, and so of course I am hiking with my bow on my pack which is my bet is my own issue. Uh, I discovered on this trip, uh, like usually I wait till the end for like the lesson I learned, uh, but we're here. So why not talk about it? Um, I don't have the best balance. Like I just, I, I'm a bigger guy. I just, I've never really worked on it. Uh, and so like the really slow movements or the steep side hill kind of stuff, like I'm just not sure on my feet. Uh, so for much of this terrain, which was all pretty much steep side hill kind of stuff, <laughs> Uh, if we were covering ground, uh, I was pretty much, you know, bow on the pack, trekking poles in hand just to feel more stable. So that was the lesson I learned is I need to do Pilates uh, in the off season, really get my balance uh, much more improved. And then I can go back and, you know, carry my bow most of the time so that when an opportunity like this happens, I can actually do something about it. Because by the time I dropped my pack, and you know, as quietly as I could down below the the ridge of this hill so they couldn't see me. By the time I dropped my pack, took the bow off, crept on up, nothing in that basin. Like they, they had changed course, probably heard something. The wind was all right, but, but they had taken off. So then we, you know, hike, continue our hike to where we were going to go. Um, and then Josh sees, uh, some deer kind of down in the bottom. We, we had a glassing point to get to, but on our way there, he's like, Oh dude, there's, there's something right there. I'm, I'm going. And so just sort of like ran off after them. Uh, and I was like, okay, well, I don't want to mess this up. And he like went down and over the, you know, to the point where I couldn't see him anymore. And so I just waited and eventually he came back and he said, okay, there's uh 
there's a spike down there. I had him at 40 yards forever. Could have shot him a dozen times. But I really just, like with all the deer we're seeing, I just don't want to take a spike. Do you want to shoot a spike? And I said, yes. Yes, I do want to shoot a spike. So he led me back down to where he had just stalked these deer to. And they were down kind of beneath. We came up on this this big cliffy bluff, you know, my favorite place to be. And they, the last time he had seen them, they were right down beneath it, uh, starting to bed down. And so we creep on up and real quietly and checking the wind and doing everything right and look over and there's nothing there. No deer anywhere. And, you know, we scan the whole bottom of this big long cut and they have just... They have taken off for whatever reason they were gone. Uh, so Josh got the pleasure of stalking that deer twice, uh, the second time on my behalf, and it still didn't work out. So after that happened, we, we you know, ate some food, licked our wounds, and then hiked all the way back up to where we wanted to be and uh, didn't really see much there. And uh, kind of, you know, after a while of, of not seeing anything, we sort of made our way back around to glass a different basin. We sort of wanted to look into our usual morning basin to see if maybe we could, you know, get a pattern on some bucks or just, you know, the camper has been gone now for, you know, about a day. So maybe they're coming back in. Uh, this evening, um, I think Josh saw it and then again gave it to me. Because uh, we had sort of split up at one point, like, hey, I'll look in this basin, you look in that basin, just kind of on the other side of the hill. Uh, and he was looking down in, and he said, hey, I got a small buck with a doe feeding right over there. And so I ran down, and it was, it was one of those, you know, chasing lights. So you, uh, you know, while I had cover, I was booking it. And then by the time I got close to where they were, I was trying to creep in. And so you want to go painfully slow, but the, the light is fading so fast. So it's this weird hurry up and be slow and quiet uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm using this sort of like little tiny tree line for cover and also hiking through this knee high grass, no, like it's impossible to move quietly. Uh, and so I, I creep on up and I, I have eyes on them. They're at about, you know, hundred, 110 yards. And I've got this little line of small trees. I'm like, okay, I can use this for cover. And if I can get up to the, that very farthest tree should be within range. So I creep my way along as light is fading. Uh, get to that tree and, you know, kind of pop out to the side to, to relocate them. And they are not where I left them. This spot where I had left them is 65 yards away, you know, within range, but they are no longer there. They are now like, they've gone another, you know, hundred yards. They're not running, but they're, they're moving decently and looking back. And so, you know, they picked up my movement or my noise, uh, wind stayed good, but they, they knew I was something they didn't want to meet and they decided to leave. Uh, but just, I mean, any day of this hunt, as, as many things that went wrong, it's like, man, we're seeing bucks every day. We're making stalks every day. You can't ask for more than this uh, when it comes to an, an archery deer hunt. And so the next day, uh, if I'm remembering all of this correctly, was our last full day. So we had this day, we we're going to sleep. We had the next morning and then we were packing up and heading back to the truck. And so the, the last full day, uh, there's nothing in that first basin in the morning, like that, that camper kind of disrupted things for a little while. Uh, and so we work our way around to sort of what became kind of our go-to second glassing point. Um, and as we're looking there, Josh, Josh picks up this nice big buck pretty far away. Um, he just pick, he's bedded down, like he's in the shade, but he's sort of just laying in the open, bedded buck, long ways away. 
And so he's like, oh, sweet. There he is. Awesome. Uh, And just about the time he's starting to make a play, I'm watching him. And I'm like, oh, dude, he got up. And so he hops back in the glass and we're watching and he's he's up and he starts to kind of meander and feed his way down. And he dips beneath this, you know, out of our view, down far enough into this cut that there's another ridge line between us and him. We can't see him anymore. Uh, And so we have this little debate like, okay, do I come with you and run cameras or is it better if I stay up here where we last saw him and I can scan all that? Like eventually he's going to pop out to the right or to the left or, you know, if he pops out somewhere, you can, you know where I am. I can signal you which direction you need to go. We decide that that's the smarter play. Uh, Just the more eyes on him, the better rather than heading all the way over there, trying to pick him back up and, and not being able to relocate him because he's, he's moved on somewhere. And so Josh goes on this big, long hike, gets around to him. Um, I never see him come back out. And so I'm like, well, shoot, this it was obviously didn't do any good for me to sit here because I can't see him. Um, but Josh evidently uh, relocates him like he gets over not to where he wanted to shoot from, but just kind of to where he could see down into the basin he was in. And he, you know, throws up the glass. And he's looking around. He finds him like, oh, he's you know, he just rebedded. 20, 30 yards from where we initially saw him, it was just down out of our view. Um, we have inreaches, so we're not, you know, trying to use those really to guide each other in. But as I'm sitting there wondering, like, well, I, I can't see him. I don't know what's happening. Josh is like, okay, I relocated him. I'm moving into stock. Great. Okay. And so I just keep watching the area. Uh, and eventually I see Josh working his way down the spine and, and I see him. Really, all I can see is the orange flexion. <laughs> Really, all I can see is the orange fletchings on his arrows. And uh, he's, from my view, he's like under this big tree, kind of obscured by a bush. He's on this bluff looking down into the hole where we first saw this deer. And he stands there for an hour and a half, maybe two hours. Like just never leaves. He's standing on this buck. And so what he is seeing is he looks down is this really not just, we saw him so far away. We couldn't really tell how nice he was, but he's a nice, nice buck. Uh, and the same deal as, you know, I think day one or day two, where the buck is looking away from him, he's bedded down, but his whole body's obscured by trees and brush and, and he doesn't have a shot. So he's just standing there, hoping the wind holds, waiting for an opportunity uh, to draw back and send an arrow. And he's, of course, he's ranged everything. He knows, okay, if he gets up and goes this way, it'll be this far. If he goes that way, it'll be this far. Like he, he knows that all. He's just waiting. Uh, arrow knocked. When this deer stands up, I'm going to draw. Whatever shot he gives me, I'm going to take. It's going to be perfect. So finally, the the deer does stand up. The wind holds. He's not alarmed. It's just getting later. So he's you know stands up to go start feeding again. And Josh settles in, and he's you know he moves to his right, and he's just like okay, here here we go. Goes into a shot sequence, sends the arrow, and he watches it miss clean to the right, like missed the entire animal. And he's devastated, you know, obviously the, the sound, all that happens, deer takes off, not sure what happened. Um, and Josh, Josh is a great shot. He practices religiously, a uh, very good archer and is sitting there thinking to himself, what in the world did I do? And he, he thinks to himself, he's like, I don't consciously remember checking my bubble. Uh, you know, you, as much time as you spend at the range and in the backyard, like that's just part of your sequence. Uh, so you hope that it becomes second nature, but he does not consciously remember checking his bubble. So standing there, just figured out he knocks another arrow. He comes to full draw. 
he holds it out just, you know, to the best of his muscle memory, the way it felt natural. Like, this is how I think it was. And he looks and, you know, based on the, the steep slope and the downward angle of the shot, he looks and his bubble is just like hard, hard to the side in his sight. And so then he tips it to level that bubble out. And he's like, yeah, that, that is not how that felt. Like I forgot to check my bubble to compensate for that steep mountain shot that you hear so much about. Uh, it's a real thing. And so at 60, 65 yards, I think was the shot. Um, you know, that bubble being off makes a, a deer's body length of difference in terms of where your arrow goes. Uh, but if you're going to miss, you want a clean miss. So that's, you know, there's the silver lining to that very dark cloud that dude spent all day and a very long hike getting over that deer. Uh, and then just something as simple as a bubble level uh, missed it, just messed the whole thing up. So the next morning is our last morning. And, and, you know, we've got camp to pack up. We got a five mile hike back to the truck and then a very long drive. Uh, and so we, the plan is like, we're going to go check our first basin. Uh, if there's something in there, we'll hopefully make a play. And if not, that's the end of it. Hunt's over. Uh, and so we go up and finally, again, the deer have come back. Like the, the camper, whoever has been out of there long enough, deer are back doing deer things. And it's, it's almost a carbon copy of the first morning. So that we're same, you know, four or five bucks just working their way down to our, you know, from right to left as we're looking at them down into these cuts. The only difference is the first morning where we don't have a, a solid wind coming up out of that basin. So it was more like the, the, not so much the thermals, but the prevailing winds had been pushing that direction. And today they're backwards. Like we, our scent is blowing down into that bowl, which we know, like we have done enough bow hunting, like, well, this, you, you never charge in with the wind at your back, but we're in this, like, hey, we have like an hour or two to hunt here. This is our only play you know, why not? Like, let's, let's go down. There's, there's enough like kind of rolling hills and st not even hills, but the way the topography breaks up down there, we're like, maybe we'll get lucky enough that we'll get tucked down in this little hole kind of out of the wind. It'll, it, it won't like blow up and over down to where they are. There's a slight chance. So we both bomb down into the bottom of this thing and we get most of the way there. And suddenly we see one of the bucks just like doing that jump run, you know, where they just sort of like bound and spring, like they have, uh, like those old timey spring shoes from the fifties or whatever, uh, just bouncing away from us. And then a couple more did that. And then, you know, the last buck or two or whatever, you know, we just sort of see them like in little groups of ones and twos bounding away. We're like, well, that looks pretty much like a bunch of bucks that just winded, uh, two hunters. So that's the end of that. Uh, we, we just hiked back up to our glassing spot where we had left most of our stuff. Um, you know, we're both content creators, so we spent some time, Hey, the, the sun's good. The light's looking pretty cool. Take a few more photos, get a little more footage and then we'll get out of here. Um, and that was, that was the story. We hiked, we walked back, packed up camp, hiked out. Uh, we did then get, I mean, I love backcountry hunting for so many reasons, but one of the best parts of it is the massive greasy meal you get at the first place you can find when you come out of the backcountry for a week. Uh, cause I, I mean, I am a, I love my backcountry dinners. Uh, the dehydrated meals, I usually go with peak refuel, not sponsored by them. 
just really like them and they seem to have less uh, digestive problems associated with them than I have had with other brands. Um, and those are great after a long day. They, they taste amazing, but there's nothing like a massive burger or a huge burrito or whatever, like whatever you find. Uh, and so we found this first little hole in the wall, like not a chain place, just its own thing. And they had like pizza and Mexican food and burgers and it, it all looked amazing. And we just, it is the best tasting greasy garbage food you will ever have after a week of living in the dirt. Um, and then we just had a very long road trip home, which is part of the fun, honestly. Like, uh, we talk so much about the hunt and that's where a lot of memories are made and that that's what we do this for. Uh, but let's not, let's not discount the value of, you know, 12 hours in a truck with a good buddy, uh, and just the laughs and the stories and the memories. The one that we still joke about to this day, uh, is a gentleman we nicknamed the Chevron Slayer because in the absolute middle of nowhere, Utah, where you're like a hundred miles from anything in any direction, there is one little Chevron station, uh, where you can get gas and some food and you can probably be abducted and killed uh, because there is a guy who works at this gas station uh, all alone at night who is just like it's like out of a movie. Like we were in there, you know, using the restroom, getting some snacks. He was about to close. Uh, and it's like one of those like where he's not there and you go to grab your coffee. And if there were cameras involved, it would cut to a, cut to a different camera angle. And suddenly he's standing right there. Uh, and so like Josh was getting some coffee and suddenly this guy's right there, like out of nowhere. And it's just like the creepiest, like, so what are you guys doing tonight? Like so creepy. Uh, and I interacted with them first. Like I went to the bathroom, got my snacks paid for them. And in that interaction, it was even like, so dear, right? Like, just like, like as he's, he's staring like big eyes and smiling, like, okay, someone trained you to make eye contact and you're way overusing it. Um, super creepy. Uh, and then Josh had similar creepy experiences. Uh, finally, like I, I was out of the truck. I just left Josh like, okay, uh, you're probably going to get killed by this guy. Um, but more than that, it was, there was a couple people getting gas. Uh, we had all this gear, my bow is in the bed of the truck. Like it was really more of a, okay, someone should probably stand by and make sure that doesn't get stolen. Uh, and then Josh comes out, we, we get in the truck. Uh, we just both close the doors. No one has said a word yet. And I just sort of said like, um, so we're both in agreement that this guy definitely has a basement full of people chained up in there. Right. Uh, and then, you know, that led to probably half an hour in the middle of the night, driving through the road, uh, driving through the road, driving down the road of just like, we can't wait for the Netflix special to come out about the Chevron Slayer and, uh, just the absolute creepiness, which now sitting here, uh, in my office recording this sounds very, uh, callous and like we are not uh like we don't care about the plight of victims of serial killers uh i do i certainly do but i'm also oddly addicted to pretty much any documentary series that comes out about a serial killer i don't know what that says about my psychology but uh it's fascinating and i feel like i have now met in person a real life serial killer in the wild um so all that to say in the middle of nowhere utah there's a chevron station if you are listening and you are uh you know, 
a, an agent of some sort, an investigator, an authority of, of something, and there's some unsolved uh, mysteries, so to speak, 90s reference, uh, in that part of the country, um, maybe go find that Chevron. Give that guy a, a question or two. There, There's something fishy going on there. Um, but just, I mean, great time, great trip, a lot of good conversation and laughs had. Um, and, and I mean, even though we came out of there with, with no deer meat, uh, it was just an awesome trip. I mean, six days, uh, in the back country, seeing deer every single day, uh, making stocks every single day, you know, uh, an arrow had flown. Uh, there were a couple more like in range or almost in range. Like there were, there were a lot of close calls just an action-packed great hunt. Uh, and, and while success is always awesome, uh, I, I, I honestly think like it is just as awesome to have a great experience like that uh, rather than just like a, an easy, simple... It's always fun when something just like kind of comes together and happens and you almost like luck into a situation like, oh, cool, there's a buck, great, I'm gonna go home now. Uh, that is great, I'm not discounting that. But I think there's some greatness to just the the adventure itself. So when it comes to to lessons to be learned, uh, I talked about it earlier, but just to reiterate, balance is huge. Uh, my buddy Josh, is, he was a roofer for a long time. So to watch that guy side hill, it he might as well just be walking on pavement. Like <laughs> he's just sure-footed and knows like just just barrels on through, no problem at all. Like like a duck in water. Uh, I don't know if you feel like you need to work on it, but I need to address some balance stuff. Uh, and fitness wise, I was actually pretty good going in. Like I had done a lot of endurance and cardio training and, uh, and that wasn't so bad other than a little bit of cramping coming in the, the first day, uh, which I'm still dialing in, finding, you know, experimenting with different supplements, uh, figuring it out. I think one of the keys is taking breaks on a hike in, like I'm usually one of those, like just throw the pack on, just keep going. You know, I'll drink from my, my water bladder hose and, uh, and why stop? But I think there's something about like every couple of miles stopping, even sitting down, taking an extra long drink. Uh, like there's something there. Cause usually I don't cramp until we get into like the four or five miles of continuous hiking, uh, where things start to go South. Um, so, uh, I actually, if you have like a dialed in, Hey, I used to deal with, uh, cramps and here's how I fixed it. Uh, I'm all ears cause, uh, I'm getting much closer than I was, but I can't say it's 100% solved for me. Uh, so I'm still experimenting with some stuff there. All right. That is the 2021 Utah high country mule deer hunt. Uh, lots of other things coming up on the horizon. I'm, I'm finalizing calendars, uh, with, uh, with a couple of different people I want to have on the podcast, share their stories. We're going to have some fun, but I wanted to stay true to my every week, a new episode. So I figured I'd hop on real quick here in the office and drop this story for you guys. That's it for now. I will talk to you guys later. Thanks so much for tuning in to hunting stories. And if you want to stay up on what we're doing with the podcast or anything else going on with Late to the Game, go ahead and check us out at latetothegameoutdoors.com or give us a follow on Instagram at latetothegameoutdoors. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next time.